Becky Rupert McMahon, Chief Executive at the CMBA, and welcome to our special edition of My Bar Story. We're doing something a little different for this episode as we announce the latest plans for a new initiative, the Cleveland Legal Collaborative. Join me with our past association and bar foundation president, Rick Madeloff, who also happens to be a Bar Foundation Distinguished Fellow. He's joined by Colleen Cotter, Executive Director of the Legal Aid Society, who's also a Fellow for our Bar Foundation. Together, the three of us have a great conversation talking about how the Cleveland Legal Collaborative will be helping to create many new bar stories for future generations to come. So it's a great day here at the CMBA. We've brought together two of the bar's best friends here today and two of the incredible game changers who exist in Cleveland's legal community, not just recently, but way back, which means each of us is getting a little bit older. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's happening. But we're going to have a conversation today where uh, we're focusing in on one of the most important initiatives that's coming up in the bar's future. As we head into next year's 150th anniversary celebration, we are not just going to be holding parties and celebrating past achievements, but we are very much looking forward in terms of what the bar can do as we move forward into our next 150 years. May that happen. So joining us today, two critical people, Rick Maniloff, who is a past president of both the Bar Association and the Bar Foundation, and Colleen Cotter, who is the chief executive at the Legal Aid Society of Cleveland. So welcome, my friends. It's so great to see you. It's great to be here. Great to be here. I love being a little bit of a talk show host. <laughs> You're yeah. doing it very well. Oh, I thank you so much. So listen, I would love, Rick, just to start with you. Um, I came on board at the CMBA in January of 2015. You were already in the lineup as a future president of the Bar Association, having been a past Bar Foundation president. And while we had lots of sort of early conversations, the one that really sticks out to me as you were the president-elect getting ready to become president in the summer of 2016 was talking to you about what your areas of interest and priority were. Yes, the Bar Association has a strategic plan, and yes, we were going to advance the organization, but really getting a sense of who you were and what was important to you and how we could build a platform that both advanced the organization and your priorities. And the conversation was access to justice. So I would love if you could share a little bit about where did you get your passion for access to justice? Um, and what, what were some of those early day thinkings before you became president of the Bar Association? Sure. Uh, access to justice was uh, probably the biggest reason why I uh, got involved in the law to begin with. It's uh, why I went to law school. Uh, very early interest of mine, born from uh, ex my experience working for New York City uh, government um, on a welfare-to-work program, and uh, it sparked a, an interest in access to justice um, that um, that I wanted to explore in this uh, capacity. That uh, as as president of the um, Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association, so some of our early discussions uh, centered upon that passion of mine, that long-held passion of mine, among other things. But we really did uh, focus on that. So back in April of 2016, I went to a, a conference uh, with Jim Smolinski, uh, who is the head of the Lawyer Referral Service here at the Bar Association. Um, where folks from around the nation had gathered to talk about uh, what we could do better uh, in each of our communities to provide uh, access to our wonderful justice system. It, it truly is a, an amazing system. It's, the, um, in many ways, the, the envy of the world. It can always be improved upon, but um, it's not 
Um, it's not really worth anything to those who can't access it. And so this conference was designed to talk about improving access uh, to justice, um, particularly uh, among those who uh, either can't afford um, civil attorneys at market rates uh, or who do not qualify for legal aid or, um, financially or the, the types of uh, services that they require are not offered uh, by legal aid. And so the conference was, uh, was focused on that. And uh, I remember being uh, very inspired coming out of that, of that conference that this is something that the Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association could, uh, could really focus on. And uh, I actually, uh, uh, in thinking back on that, I, uh, I, I looked back at old emails and I found an email that I had, uh, uh, an email exchange uh, with uh, Judge K.J. Montgomery, where I said, uh, my fun this Saturday took place in Kansas City, where I was attending a conference on providing access to justice to the working poor through incubators. There's really a movement going on in this country on that front. Very cool stuff, which I would love to have the Bar Association start focusing on. And that was in April of 2016. And, uh, and very quickly, um, you and I started to talk about what the Bar Association could do. And, uh, and from there, um, the idea started to get uh, more and more uh, developed uh, with respect to uh, who would provide those services. Um, and we talked about um, uh, the, the enthusiasm of those coming out of law school. Um, and we talked about how there's a lot of folks in the community, experienced attorneys in the community, uh, who might be able to provide that mentoring um, and education to those coming out of law school and, and kind of bringing those two groups together and, uh, and providing um, legal services at rates people can afford uh, to, uh, to our community and bringing in uh, partners uh, to, uh, to assist in that effort. And so that's my recollection of how it all began. That's a great re- recollection. My, my only quibble with it is you, you didn't come back to sort of motivate it. You came back high as a kite, is my <laughs> recollection. Uh, because soon after you uh, came back with all that, those great resources and great pieces of information, we reached out to Colleen and right. we had a conversation and then a series of conversations that this was always going to be a partnership. That one of the things that we know as we continue in our fight to create opportunities and to create access is that no one organization can go it alone. And it takes really a number of partners to make it happen. Colleen, what, what are your recollections? I think it was we had a working title way back then, the People's, People's Law, Law Firm. Firm. People's yes. Law Firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. And it's it's it, this kind of idea can only thrive where we have underlying partnerships and we see everybody has a role. And also, maybe we have a role we haven't thought of before, but we could step lean in. And what you mentioned earlier, Becky, about the system of justice and Rick, your comment about if people don't have access at the Legal Aid Society, we're focused on serving people at 200% of the federal poverty guidelines and below. Clearly folks who do not have the means to purchase the services of a lawyer. There are a lot of people out there who are above that. Uh, We serve the working poor. There are working poor who make more than that and still can't purchase the services. So uh, working together, if we can figure out a way to meet that need um, in a way that meets the needs of lawyers, meets the needs of those clients, um, and change the system. Uh, the system that we have is set up for lawyers by lawyers. So when we ask people to go into court without a lawyer, they're coming you know, at it from a huge deficit. So creating that system of justice. So you had me at access to justice. I'm in. How can we participate as legal aid? 
Fantastic. And, and people are probably wondering, so why are we here in 2022 and this hasn't happened yet? And so I'll just say, clearly a lot of things happened. We were in the process collectively working, not only our organizations, we also brought in the deans at both Case Western Reserve School of Law, as well as Cleveland Marshall College of Law. And we were looking for ways to sort of build something together. We were on a track to pull the trigger. And then this thing called the pandemic arrived. Yeah, um, I remember Friday, March 13th, 2020, very well as we closed our doors here at the CMBA uh, without any idea on anybody's parts about what was to come. So while we got delayed, which was unfortunate because the world disrupted, the cool thing is I think it gave us a great opportunity to sort of continue to look forward, to gather our resources, and to really now sort of leverage the momentum that is going to be building here in Cleveland as the CMBA celebrates its 150th anniversary next year with all eyes on what can we do not just to celebrate the past, but to look forward and to really plan for how can we continue to serve the community going forward. And so that's what brings us here together in the fall of 2022 on a beautiful sunny day is to talk about the future. So our people's law firm has morphed into a concept called the Cleveland Legal Collaborative. And the idea is that we're going to bring together not only those who are in need, the working poor, as you've described, Colleen, who really make too much money in some instances to qualify for legal aid, but are still those that are unable to get access to high quality lawyers at a price that they can afford. So one of the underpinnings of the the Cleveland Legal Collaborative concept then and now is that we're going to create this triangle of opportunity where we're going to tap into the more seasoned lawyers who um, are in our community who day in and day out are giving back, but maybe some who haven't yet found the right opportunity to connect with the next generation of lawyers, those that are either just coming out of law school or in the first couple of years of practice, who have a an absolute commitment to doing right by the community and to social justice and to creating even more opportunities for access. Bringing those two groups together, what do you think, Rick? What do you see among your friends, your peers and colleagues? What do you think the more seasoned and experienced lawyers are going to say about this opportunity? And what do you think they have to bring? I and a lot of other of my colleagues that I've worked with uh, for decades uh, have accumulated a lot of experience and, and expertise uh, in various areas of the law. And uh, the more expertise and experience we accumulate, the more we feel like uh, we want to uh, share that experience mm-hmm. and that expertise with the younger generations coming through. And in that way, we leave, uh, we leave a legal legacy uh, behind us. Um, that uh, that we don't just uh, shut the door when we retire and that's it, but uh, but we can help train and mentor the next generation of lawyers coming through the ranks. And there's a there's a lot of meaning to be found in leaving that kind of a legacy in the legal community. And so I and a lot of my my colleagues, uh, senior uh, attorneys, uh, are looking for opportunities and ways to connect um, and uh, and programs that. Uh, that can help us uh, to do that. Fantastic. Colleen, you guys uh, at the Legal Aid Society, you've had a volunteer lawyers program for, what, 145 years, something like that? <laughs> something like that. Something like that. And and you, you've seen day in, day out the uh, the value of bringing more experienced lawyers together with, with the next generation of lawyers, whether it's through brief advice clinics, whether it's through volunteer uh, cases that lawyers take on. What do you think sort of some of the takeaways are for both the more seasoned lawyers who may want to be interested in this? You run your Act 2 program, for sure. And what do you also think then on that next generation? How do you think they're going to respond to this? I think 
I think there's going to be a huge amount of interest in the community from new lawyers and from seasoned lawyers. Um, as you said, we bringing people together, especially in today's world where we're, we're on Zoom so much, we're working from home, people are feeling isolated. And so the opportunity to bring people together and really have that partnership sharing, um, you know, the, the newer lawyers have energy and information and, and skills to share with the seasoned folks and vice versa. So bringing them together, I think that's a great model. We've seen a great outpouring um, of support for our Act 2 program, volunteers who are nearing the end of their legal career and want to continue to engage, as Rick was saying, want to be together. We're forming a community. And I think that in the end is really what this is all about is we are a community of lawyers. We are a community of people who live in the greater Cleveland area. And we're a community interested in the justice system. So what can we bring together? What can we learn from clients also? Because I think that's, you know, an important part. Absolutely. You know, when, when we're, when, when we have this up and running and we have new lawyers and seasoned lawyers who are together meeting the very basic needs of people in our community who are, you know, just one paycheck away from losing their home or losing their kids, um, need that special uh, assistance that only a lawyer can provide because mm -hmm. we are licensed. This is our calling. Mm -hmm. So being able to transform and really transform our justice, our court system to a justice system because it will do justice in those situations. I think that's going to drive people to want to jump in. Um, and, you know, again, jumping in at, with legal aid and volunteering. But what we're talking about here is another step of people getting paid um, but maybe thinking about the pay structure in a slightly different way to make it accessible to people. So then we have a continuum and everybody participates in the justice system. That's exactly right. Yeah. The, the win, win, win here is that we create opportunities for more experienced lawyers to mentor and to create that legacy, as you've described, uh, Rick, in terms of what bringing along the next generation will look like. We get newer lawyers who are going to get the opportunity to learn how to really be high functioning, efficient, but also incredibly high quality lawyers by delivering services that are really a need to a community that may not have access on a regular basis to easy access, high quality, affordable legal services. So it's really an exciting time to sort of bring it all together and to create this collaborative. And I want to underscore again, it's not just legal aid and the CMBA and some of our past presidents that we're bringing back into leadership roles, which I'm super excited about. It's also about opportunities to bring in our local law schools. It's opportunities to bring in other organizations that are committed to creating workforce development opportunities, senior, whether it's the Act Two program or other programs. There may be other organizations that we haven't even thought about that may be interested in coming to the table. So the great opportunity is, as always, this is a team sport where we have opportunity to bring in as many partners as might be interested in jumping on board. So, Colleen, let me ask you this question. So we've talked a lot about what uh, the Cleveland Legal Collaborative can do for more experienced lawyers, for newer lawyers, and the services that can be provided. Do you think there might be a broader impact here um, on our court system and the system of justice? I think it could have a huge impact on the court system and system of justice. Our court system is set up to assuming there are lawyers on both sides. Mm -hmm. and But the reality is on the civil side of our justice system, most cases have only one lawyer involved. Mm -hmm. 
the other party doesn't have a lawyer because they can't afford a lawyer. And so it really has skewed the way our justice system operates. If we have lawyers on both sides, one, we have fairness. Uh, we, some, the individual who before didn't have a lawyer now has a voice and a way to use their voice. Mm-hmm. But also it changes how the court system interacts with the litigants instead of um, the, the trap of assuming, well, there's a lawyer on this side, they have an argument, there's no argument on the other side. Well, there is an argument on the other side, but it needs to be made. The thing is that our court system, our justice system is established. It's not self-actuating. People need to actually appear and present their case. And our rules are pretty complicated. And so they're designed for lawyers to present those cases. Um, So I think the whole balance of the justice system can change the more we have the presence of lawyers in the courtroom helping people actually present their defenses and their claims so that they can be heard and justice can be done. Absolutely. Yeah. The evolution continues. So clearly there are, there are, there will be a, a variety of opportunities here for ripple effects to just continue to improve the system of justice around us um, and to exp- improve the experience that everyday citizens have in terms of trying to find help when they have issues and when they really are in need. I was reading the, um, the 2022, um, uh, Legal Services Corporation report, which talked about the incredible number of people who are qualify, who qualify as the working poor or low income individuals, how, um, something like 90% of low income families in the last year had at least one civil legal issue in their family, if not more. And the vast majority of those folks were not able to get access to, uh, the services that they needed. Sometimes it's because they didn't know where to go. Sometimes it was because at least half of them, I think, talked about they thought price would be an issue and they wouldn't be able to afford the assistance. So I really see there just being tremendous opportunities here for us to collectively and with additional partners create new and different avenues for people to find help when they need help and to, again, get high quality assistance because it's not just some assistance, it's high quality assistance. So, which then takes me back sort of full circle to thinking about our bar association. You know, as we head into our 150th year next year, uh, we, we have our mission today to promote the rule of law, which is the same mission that our organization had back in 1873. Rick, I know this is history and sort of thinking about the then and now is something that sort of has rung a bell with you. What are your thoughts about our ability to serve the bar's mission today as we did 149 plus years ago. Right, yeah. The CLC is uh, right in line with the original mission of the Bar Association and the mission today. Um, Back then, and you wrote about it in your Bar Journal article that appeared in the October 22 uh, edition of the Bar Journal. Um, Thank you for being the one person who read the, you know, it's one of those things, if you write it, will they read it? Who knows? Who knows? But thank you for reading it. I read it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, and you quoted uh, a portion of the original charter that uh, talked about how one of the main purposes of the Bar Association was to increase the usefulness of the members of the Bar Association in aiding the administration of justice. And so 150 years ago or so, um, the Bar Association was formed um, with that being one of its chief purposes, and it continues to be the case now. And so um, the CLC fits kind of right in line with the, the historical mission, uh, and I would assert the most important mission of the Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association. 
I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And let me just say, sort of wrap things up by saying thank you. Thanks to both of you, your leadership and your inspiration. And I mean it when you were so enthusiastic, Rick, back in 2016, I heard the squeal of delight in your voice again when about eight or nine months ago, we started talking about where this is going to go. And Colleen, the partnership that the bar has had and continues to have with Legal Aid is just second to none. So the two of you, there's no way this opportunity is going to do anything other than succeed with your individual, but also your organizational and collective support. So thank you for being champions. Thank you for being leaders in our community. And thank you for being such really living legends in our in our legal community. I know you're going to start laughing at me here in a minute, <laughs> but it's true. It's real. Two individuals have made huge impact. And together, we're going to keep doing that as we build tomorrow's legacy through the Cleveland Legal Collaborative and beyond. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this special My Bar Story. Watch for more details as the Cleveland Legal Collaborative continues to develop. And watch your podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes of My Bar Story coming soon.